What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as always, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And back with us again to continue on with our read of Glenn Cook's Books of the Glittering Stone. No, I'm going to take out the the. It's just Books of Glittering Stone, isn't it? Is none it other is. than the Honorable Jared Livingston. What's up, Jared? Hello. Today we're diving Classy. into... I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Water <laughs> sleeps for today boys and girls. More specifically, we're covering everything up through chapter 52 for this week. So, Drew, kick us off, dude. Yeah, so for the first 52 chapters of this book, we have a a kind of an establishing shot at the beginning of it, because this book takes place significantly after the events of She is the Darkness, uh, where She is the Darkness ended with Croker and Lady and Mergen and most of the principal members of the Black Company being trapped in stasis under the Plane of Glittering Stone in the fortress with no name. Uh, now we are, uh, like, I think it's like 13 or 14 years after that. The Black Company has been almost completely destroyed once again during the Kiaolun Wars, as Soulcatcher has joined forces with the Radisha and the Taglians and Mogaba to destroy the Black Company. But a few of them have survived, including Sleepy, who is now the Analyst, Goblin and One-Eye, uh, Otto and Hagop. Oh no, excuse me. Otto and Hagop are, are under the plane. Um, uh, no, uh, the the Sings. It's the the Sing brothers. That's what yeah. I was thinking of. Um, Runmust and Iqbal, um, and uh, yeah, and a few others, uh, including Kai Sara. And it is now led mostly by Sara and Sleepy. They've been establishing uh, more of like a guerrilla organization for the Black Company over the last uh, decade plus. And this book kicks off with them finally putting their plans in motion to recover the captured from under the plane. Sleepy uh, launches a couple of operations to capture Willow Swan, who was a traitor and has been uh, sleeping with Soulcatcher and running the, uh, the Taglian kind of state police, the Greys. Uh, they also capture the Purohita, who is the court priest on the uh, the inner council of the Taglian government and the inspector general of records. And they also capture the Radisha herself. They have completely removed all of the support structure from around Soulcatcher, who is now officially known as the protector of all the Taglias. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in, in the same fell swoop, Sleepy, who has uh, proven herself as quite the little mastermind, uh, also captures the Daughter of Night, and Narayan Singh. But uh, before they can really finish up all of their plans, Mogaba is headed back to Taglios with the army to methodically root out the Black Company, so they have to get out of Dodge. They make a couple of deals with uh, Narayan Singh and with Uncle Doge to acquire uh, the copy of the first Book of the Dead that Doge got in, uh, in She is the Darkness and trade it to Narayan Singh for the key, the Nyongbao key, which is like the company standard, uh, a key to the Shadow Gate and a way to get onto the plane of glittering stone. 
Throughout all of this, Mergen, who is totally untethered from his body, as he has been for uh, a few years, you know, uh, before the events of She is the Darkness, uh, he's been escaping the cavern in spectral form and giving them information. But there's also a white crow around, and there's some dispute over who is in the white crow, and why is the white crow seemingly helping the black company? So... That's uh that's about where we leave off in the first half of this book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah, let's jump right into style here. Yes. Oh my god, I hated it. Huh? I don't know if it's Sleepy as an analyst in particular, even though I do like Sleepy as a character, and I, I strongly suspect that's part of it. It could be the time skip between the last book and this one needing to set the ground for this whole conflict going forward. The insane cast of new characters at this late point in the series. Probably a combination of all three of those things, but I absolutely hated this part. Really? I was about to jump on and say that this has been my favorite narrator yet. What? <laughs> wow. Well, we I have wildly diverging opinions. I was shocked to hear you say that. Wow. Well, I hey, was shocked, too. That's good. That's good. We're the, there's going to be sparks on this episode. Friction, right? It's going to be there great. Will. It's going to be great. Um, I come in somewhere between you guys. Uh, I uh, Sleepy is not my favorite, but I do really like the beginning of this book. It It starts off with a bang. I love all the, like cloak and dagger skullduggery you know the the classic company misdirection that they get up to and i specifically like sleepy's voice um where where we have mergen and croaker who are pretty irreverent you know sarcastic and and dour uh respectively um you know uh, narrators sleepy is like a, a prude religious you know, like she's constantly snapping at one eye to stop cursing and and she's constantly thinking about how her religion impacts her her outlook on being a member of the black company and being involved in these events. I don't know. I, I enjoy it a lot. It, I'll, I will elaborate because, I mean, like, like Jared, last book for um, She is the Darkness going in after that first half, I was like, oh, I am so on board with this. There's so much more happening. I'm in love with it so far. Not so in this book. I think for me, it's the amount of exposition that we get. And this may just be me as a reader, but there are so many times I found myself listening to descriptions of people or descriptions of places or, and definitely events in the past that they that she needs to dive into to give you context for what's currently happening. And I just found myself again and again grumbling, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And the, the parts that really stand out to me are that are, um, uh, Sleepy's, some of the, some of Sleepy's conversations with, um, oh Christ, what is his name now? The uh, librarian guy, the master of the library. Oh, so- Santaraxita? Yeah, Santaraxita. Yeah, Surendranash Santaraxita? Yeah. I mean, I like it. Again, I like him as a dude. I just feel like a lot of their conversations just kind of really go nowhere. Then there was Mergen spying on Soulcatcher in one uh, chapter while, while she's wrangling Radisha and, and politicking and Teglios. And I don't remember what the hell it was that happened at the end of chapter 36, but I stopped to write down five words. End of chapter 36. Ugh. <laughs> there's just there's just so much time spent. The, Sleepy seems to have this proclivity for backtracking and giving you a whole bunch of context for something that's currently mm-hmm. happening in this scene, and I get bored of it. 
So this is this is so funny to hear because one of the most common criticisms of the Black Company early on in the series is how little exposition there is. Yes. And how little context and I we are given. Bitched about that. I did. Yeah, and now I I really feel like Sleepy's voice as the analyst was specifically Glenn Cook saying, Look, you want this? I'll give this to you. Right, but he's like, You're gonna have all <laughs> you can take and more. It reads so much better. Like mm. <laughs> It's actual scenes. It's not weird sentences and like five scenes in five sentences. Like, I I realize <laughs> that on this regard, I'm probably coming off as very hard to please <laughs> or pretentious. <laughs> but I mean, I did bitch about a lot of the lack of exposition in the, especially in the books of the North. And yeah, now I'm kind of bitching about the the copious the <laughs> abundance of exposition in, in this one but I, I think like for me the per the perfect ground would have been somewhere in between um see i i'm baffled by this because i feel like there's way more exposition in mergen's books than there is in sleepy's i feel like mergen digresses way more uh like he gets caught in the weeds you know with his forays walking the ghost I can see that. And, and his dreams and things like it, that and it might be because of the sleepy just provides like necessary context do you to their think, operations do you think the root of your issue might be that it's taking place like 15 years later or whatever it is well i think that's involved because in the interim we've had a whole bunch of new characters you know and, and so sort you of. have to kind of learn who they are. You have to understand certain things that have been going back now and certain conflicts that have been buried and simmering for a while, I think. I mean, all the main characters are still, you know, they've been around for a while. It's still the Radisha and Soulcatcher and right. Sara. It's a, it's a lot of the Tagweeds, I think, specifically with the, uh, the higher ups. Like Baron Dandy. Yes, and, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, but he's minor. Yeah, it, it's not. It didn't ruin the book for me. But I mm. actually no, I, I can't say that because I started this off by saying I hated it. <laughs> you hate it. <laughs> it kind like of ruined the book for me. <laughs> style wise, it felt incredibly different. Like it was, re it reads so smoothly compared to some of the other earlier ones. I think. Mm. I yeah, thought I felt about the darkness. I feel like um, Water Sleeps and Dreams of Steel specifically are. Like, Glenn Cook just flexing on the rest of us and being like, look at how flexible a writer I am. That I can write two books in the middle of a ten book, you know, ten plus book series uh, that feel totally different from the rest of them. It's like, it feels like somebody else is writing it. But it's still me. I'm just that good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's just sometimes it's not always a voice that I like. He's very good at that. Cook is very good at that. But it's not always mm -hmm. a voice that I like. Yeah, I, I know, I will say, Rob, I think in the fandom at large, Sleepy is most people's, like, least favorite analyst. Yeah, I, I think like, you... Like, if you, were to, if you were to do a poll, like, a, a general poll of, like, who, who's your least favorite analyst in the Black Company, Sleepy would probably win that poll or lose that poll, as it were. Um, I can see why. <laughs> but I like Sleepy. I, I I do like Sleepy. I think Mergen might actually be my least favorite. As a character, I like Sleepy. I mean, I I, I loved you know reading about Sleepy when we were in Mergen's head. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, so we get a lot more information about Sleepy as a character, but we'll we'll get to that uh, <laughs> yeah in a, in a little bit here. Um, 
Uh, there is one thing that I don't like about Sleepy uh, in her her writing style. Okay. And that is um, she has this tendency to repeat herself. Um, like, I have a few things highlighted. Uh, there's there's one line um, where she's, she's talking with Narayan Singh. And... Uh, or, or no, no, uh, not not with Narayan, but with Swan. And Swan's talking about Goblin and One-Eye. He's like, you know, they drink up half the product. They get drunk and get in a fight and start throwing the barrels at each other. And Sleepy says, like, in narration, he had a point. And then in dialogue, you have a point. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then uh, uh, you know, a couple, you know, a couple chapters later, uh, she's talking with Narayan about Kina. And, and he's saying, Kina is real. And she says, you know, uh, she is the darkness. And he says, you see her handiwork around you every day. And then again, in narration, not true. And then in dialogue, untrue, little man. Like, so she repeats herself. She'll, she'll state something in narration, and then she'll repeat herself in dialogue. And, and I like it as a, a stylistic thing to establish. This is something Sleepy does that the other narrators, the other analysts don't. It's a believable quote. But from my perspective, like as a reader, it does get a little annoying where I'm like, you could just not write the not true and have her just say untrue, little man. Like we get the point. Mm. And it, it happens a lot. Like it, it really happens a lot where she repeats herself this way. Hmm. One thing. Yeah. I, one thing that I a random kind of small thing that I found annoying was how she used darn all the time okay yeah yeah <laughs> that felt so awkward like it didn't for darn? me because you know how, of how many times we heard the black company like croaker himself or or even some of the more foul-mouthed ones like one eye still using the word butt instead of ass like we heard that so many times previously <laughs> so when i heard darn it's just it felt natural or at least it was not unexpected Hey, I gotta say, I I love Sleepy's, like, how she gets creative to curse without cursing. (laughs) Like, I can see how that'd be entertaining, yeah. Say, like, bull feathers, you know, and... (laughs) (laughs) Got a flavor Robert Jordan to it sometimes. And and she actually, I think at one point, um, for anybody who's watched The Good Place uh, with Kristen Bell, uh, fantastic show, by the way. Haven't seen it. to, To digress a little bit, you know... Very, very good show. Uh, it's a sitcom about Kristen Bell who dies. You know, the, the opening episode starts with her waking up in heaven, basically. But she finds out that she was, that there was a mistake. Somebody else with her same name was a way, way better person <laughs> than she who was supposed to go to heaven. And Kristen Bell went in her place. And it's like. <laughs> so I haven't had an administration her, error. Yeah, and and uh, but so one of the the ticks with this thing in heaven is that you can't curse, and so Kristen Bell, who's like a terrible person, is trying to curse all the time, and she physically can't. So when she she wants to drop an f bomb, she says fork, and and when she wants to you know say she says shirt, and things like that. And nice. I I got the a similar vibe from from Sleepy where she's using these creative substitutes. And I think at one point she actually uses fork instead of. 
<laughs> real. And I laughed so hard this time around, like after I had seen uh, um, the Good Place and and see that like you know cursing substitution. It, it was it was very entertaining for me. And then of course her ongoing you know little. Uh, banter with one eye every time he says something like even slightly vulgar she's like I'm gonna wash your mouth out with soap old man you know? yeah. <laughs> he like doesn't I, give I, two it, it does remind me of of certain quirks like sheep swallow in bloody buttered onions you know <laughs> but it's I <laughs> I don't know that is not my issue with uh, Sleepy as a narrator it's just yeah. the exposition. So, you know so, what it might be? Sorry. It might be the okay. exposition dumps. It, it could be that Mergen had even more in aggregate in terms of exposition, but I, I feel like his pace was better. He spread it more evenly. You would get two or three sentences here rather than a few pages of nothing, and then suddenly you have two whole paragraphs of exposition stopping your okay. scene. That might have been it. I don't know. I'd have to I go back I and read again. I think I understand what you mean. Yeah, like like Sleepy will be talking about something, and then she'll digress on like a uh, a historical. Yeah, tangent. it's like she's remembering. Oh crap! This is actually going to be better if you have context. So let me pause this mm-hmm. while I give you three paragraphs of context, and then continue on with the scene. It feels very stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, I can, can agree that. with that. That does. And and I think it it fits for Sleepy's character because she is a more. Um, like scholarly inclined person we we find out in she is the darkness about how excited sleepy is to learn to read and write you know and here we see that coming to fruition where this is this is a wonderful gift that she was given by merkin and that she she took the initial training he gave her you know over the months around uh, overlook and then continued training herself and She's excited about it, and so she weasels her way into working at the library, and she's spending all of her time digging into the history of the world she lives in, and she loves this stuff. I mean, she's she's constantly having to force herself to concentrate on matters at hand right, instead of right. going down these uh, you know historical you know wormholes. Yeah, which is and, why I don't uh, have a problem with her as a character. She as a person, yeah, she's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it fits her, and that's one of those things that I think is just so genius on Glenn Cook's part is that the writing style matches the character. It's not just like oh, this character writes, uh, you know, more sparingly, and this character writes more like flowery prose. It's like no, the the specific narrative quirks of the analysts align with their personalities. It, it, and I, I think that's so incredible from a writing standpoint. I, I can't even imagine... Like, I've, I've written multiple books. I've written many short stories. I don't think I know any one of my characters well enough to say, like... Like, any one of my side characters well enough to say, like, if I wanted to just change the point of view of, of this series that I'm writing, that I could completely revolutionize my writing style based on the personality of this character. Like, it just shows a depth of understanding of his characters and a depth of understanding of uh, language and storytelling that is truly impressive. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's just not my uh, not my and cup yeah, of tea, it's not just, my flavor. It's a yeah, risky sometimes... strategy. 
Yeah, it is. Um, and and there's a reason why in the fandom at large, uh, there are a lot of people who don't like the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone because they liked Croker's voice. They liked Croker as the analyst. I got an analogy and for you. It it's like a master chef approaching Haggis. He could be a masterful, <laughs> masterful chef, but the dish is disgusting. Just objectively speaking. I'm, I mean, I. <laughs> I disagree with that. Well, you, you, you like think Haggis? Anything disgusting. Well, no, I'm I'm saying I don't know how you can compare anything in the Black Company to Haggis. <laughs> well, I'm saying uh, yeah, it might have been a poor analogy, but it's just like in terms of the skill of the one who's crafting this dish, they could be a, a wonderful, wonderful chef. But well, it just I, I, it's I think, not my cup of tea. It's not what I like. I think you know, just any generic food dish, maybe. Uh, especially a, a traditionally ethnic dish in the hands of a master chef uh, in Italy making pasta. That's true. I just thought of what would I like to eat. Versus a master least. chef in America making <laughs> pasta. You may end up with two very different dishes that some people love the American version and some people love the Italian version. You know? Yeah. And, and that's totally fine. Some people may love both. Some yeah. people may love one or but not the other. That's why I'm not going to condemn Cook, uh, Cook as a writer or this book, I suppose, as a whole. It, it's very much a personal taste thing. That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. And and I feel like we were really skirting the pun territory there. We're talking about Master Chefs with an author whose last name is Cook. Oh, my goodness. I That would have... <laughs> I can't believe we almost let that one slip by. <laughs> Anyway, my last uh, style point, yeah. I realized we, we just went over everything I had to say about Sleepy. So when we do get to Sleepy, I'll probably just hand it off to you guys if you have Ooh, any more. I have, I have a lot more yeah? about Sleepy. My last okay. style point, though, is, is, uh, is a rather aesthetic one because, um, again, I was uh, listening on audiobook for this one. And, of course, again, it's not the greatest thing to do listening instead of reading for the first time. But I was really stoked to see who the audiobook narrator was in this one. McLeod Andrews is a narrator for this one. And I found that to be pretty damn cool. For those who don't know, McLeod Andrews narrated Brandon Sanderson's YA series, The Reckoners, uh, as the voice oh. of David Charleston. That was McLeod Andrews. And he's also going to be, uh, at least I'm going to be hearing him again very soon for another episode that we have coming up in the Illuminae Files. Top tier narrator. Really? In my opinion. Okay. This guy. He's not like, uh, like epics, like... Michael Kramer and Stefan Rudnicki, who have these very deep, rumbling timbres. Andrews has this very youthful exuberance to his delivery. And that works, honestly, aesthetically for me, with a, with a uh, character like Sleepy, a woman who's honestly led others to believe that she was a man for years. I loved uh, McLeod Andrews' voice for one eye in particular. He gives it this grumbly, old, hard Scottish bite to every syllable. And it really brought one eye to life in a way I wasn't ready for. So I would definitely recommend it for anyone thinking about the audiobook. McLeod Andrews is dope. Nice. Uh, so uh, that's actually a really good point. And I kind of I I have one last style point, and then I want to loop back around to the the narrator, and then use that to bridge our way into okay. Sleepy as a character. Um, my last style point is just to bring up once again. How freaking good Glenn Cook is at opening books. Uh, I, I read aloud uh, the opening, you know, opening lines of Water Sleeps on, on our previous uh, episode on She's the Darkness Part 2. Um, it, just the, the establishing shots that he does, you know. Uh, In those days, the Black Company did not exist. 
you know, and then and then there's all the stuff, and then it ends, you know. But I did not feel entirely insubstantial, you know, like uh, wonderful little turns of phrase while playing into a, a more grandiose foundation for the story. But on top of that, uh, we started getting it a little bit in She is the Darkness, where the title of the book became this mantra towards the end of She is the Darkness, where anytime Mergen was riding smoke and he went near one of the principal female characters, he would get this impression from smoke, this She is the Darkness, you know. Here, we get... Glenn Cook just going all out assault with the epic phrases. All their days are numbered. Raja Dharma. You know, water sleeps. My brother unforgiven. Just this full of portent and and um excellent stuff. You know, the showing this this great grasp of how propaganda can work, right? Right, and, right. And how even the characters are fully cognizant of it. It would be really easy for the author to just, like, write these things in and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. I want to use that because that's cool. But having the characters be aware of the power of words is an excellent little bit of writing. Uh, and, and it comes you know, kind of to a head with the Bodhi monks who are, who are trying to hammer home the, the, you know, the Raja Dharma and the black company is like, that's good. That's powerful. We gotta, we gotta co-opt that. Like <laughs> just that. Though. And then we find out. Not the self-immolation. <laughs> yeah. They, we find out a couple chapters later that the Bodhi monks are super pissed off at the black company, like piggybacked on their demonstrations. Yeah. <laughs> But but I love just Glenn Cook's ability to craft a powerful slogan. You know, we got it with She is the Darkness. We got it with Water Sleeps. Now we have My Brother Unforgiven, which is one of my favorites uh, w with Mogaba. Yeah. But we have All Their Days Are Numbered. You know, the Raja Dharma, the duty of kings. You know, uh, um, darkness always comes. Things like that. There, that there, one... uh, there have been a couple of references um, over the last few books to uh, Surrender to the Will of the Night, which was apparently something that the Dominator used as a slogan really? back in, in his day. Yeah, yeah. Mergen thinks about it when he's talking with Lady um, and, cool. and how Lady runs her armies. Uh, and and so and, and this is going to continue forward, and we're going to talk about this a lot more in Soldiers Live. But, uh, but that's... That's one of the things I love the most about the early part of Water Sleeps as far as writing goes. I, um, uh, I think that part of my enjoyment so far has been that I enjoy reading the Black Company more as like a guerrilla, rebellious splinter cell than as a war machine. <laughs> well, you like uh, Shadows Linger a lot, right? Mm-hmm. He did, which yeah. in large part is like Croker doing like spy investigation work in the you know in the Buskin and Juniper more than anything. Right. Yeah, there's there, there's more of a flavor of heist in this one, isn't there? Oh, very much. Yeah, which I'll admit yeah. I am very partial to hey, the same. heist theme. 
Guilty as charged. Hey, self-admitted right yeah. here. I love it as well. And it, uh, it, Jared, I can't remember. Have you read Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett? I have not. You need to get on that. If you like the heist stuff, you need to get on All that. Right. All right. Foundry Side um, was an excellent book. Shorefall, the sequel, blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Shorefall oh. was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just... Uh, I was asked to submit for like a, a fan, you know, voting bracket on Twitter, um, my three favorite books of 2020, you know, that I read in 2020. Um, and uh, not counting rereads. I will say that. Not counting rereads. Ah. Uh, and Shorefall was one of my three. Uh, it, it was Shorefall and Rhythm of War and The Library at Mount Char. But yeah, Shorefall yeah. Was, was crazy. Uh, but, but anyway, as far as... Uh, writing style on Water Sleeps goes. Uh, Jared, do you have any more notes nope. on that? Okay, so I want to bridge this from style into character. And Rob, you brought up the narrator. For yes. Uh, I was honestly surprised that it was McLeod Andrews because Sleepy is a female narrator. Yep. And the last time we had a female narrator, there was a female narrator for the audiobook. Yeah, for Lady. there, But it's a man for Sleepy. And I think that was probably a, a deliberate choice. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it feels character appropriate. I mean, McLeod Andrews himself, his natural speaking voice, sounds like a 16-year-old kid. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and so with Sleepy, one of the things, you know, we, we got, we found out Sleepy was a woman in She is the Darkness. You know, uh, everybody thought Sleepy was a he, and then because of Soulcatcher's intervention, and and then uh, you know masquerading as Sleepy, and then recovering Sleepy, they're like, oh no, like yeah, Sleepy's a she. Um, in this book, we find out yes, Sleepy is a she, but she is not particularly bothered by going about as a man, and she is also not particularly bothered about anything romantic or sexual uh sleepy to me comes off very much as an asexual character um she she goes out of her way to say like i'm not interested in i mean how much how often does one eye oh like, my god crack jokes about how like oh we we gotta get her in bed with somebody like yeah and i think that's and she's why like, I'm he not... does it yeah yeah um and and then we we get you know a couple of brief funny funny moments where you know she she meets Aradatha saying yeah, yeah. and she's like I almost considered like yeah. <laughs> you know even entertaining the idea of romance because that dude is that handsome yeah and uh, she even at one point is, is is kind of terrified to realize that someone else I forget which character it was had kind of snuck up on her to say something and she's like I'm mm -hmm. normally really really good about focusing on who's in my environment it's this is kind of scary the effect that not uh not Ryan no uh, Aradatha Singh is yeah. having on me. This is not something I've, I'm used to to having to deal with. But yeah, I I like that Sleepy is uh, asexual though. I think it brings a different perspective to a character in the Black Company. Um, and and while the Black Company as a series isn't super like sexually charged, like it's not a romance. You know, it's we don't have tons of like explicit um, you know sex scenes or, or anything like that. But there's always an undercurrent of it. And I think that's um, probably 
uh, true to what it's like being, you know, a military man. You know, you're you're a guy. Presumably, most of these men are not asexual. Um, they they have sexual urges, and many most of them are straight, and they're in an environment with all dudes, and and so there's gonna be like some sort of undercurrent of like sexual frustration or competition, uh, and we see it. Yeah, 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 and we see it surface every once in a while throughout the Black Company. We we have when they're going through Delaka uh, Lock, uh, and and all the all the the ladies in One Eye's homeland are very on board with the idea of sleeping with white men and croakers over there like like i can't what, what was it what did he say like i i can't um i can't allow myself to engage in some casual fun time bouncy bouncy yeah yeah i love that you brought prospect. this up i just listened to the the shadow <laughs> shadows linger wow the shadow games pre to censor it like two hours ago yeah, yeah. And we were quoting this and talking about this exact line in there but on the flip side for croaker he had his day in the sun, didn't he? When he was the he only did. one out of 40,000 to, quote, unquote, get some the night before. Get some, yeah. Right? But yeah, so we have these these references throughout Croker's books and Mergen's books. You know, Mergen is very open about how hot his wife is, you know. And then we get sleepy. And she's just not concerned about it. She She doesn't care. She's not out there she has no motivation ever to find a romantic sexual partner um yet there's there is much more of a focus with her she's like i i want to find my passion in literature and history but also i have an obligation to the company and to the captured and 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 she's she's extremely laser focused uh running the company being, you know, as as she describes it, she's like, I plan, was it, I plan traps or something like that? She's like, I'm not the captain, I just plan traps. Um, but, but she is unencumbered by concerns of, of a sexual nature, unlike every other analyst we've had so far. Including and Lady. I, I, yeah. Including Lady, oh yeah. Um. And I think that gives her a unique perspective on things, and I like it. It's a it's a different kind of uh, perspective on things. I can agree. I can agree. I still have nothing else about Sleepy to say, though. Jared? No. Oh, I have I have a couple more things. All right. Um, I I like the um, the the dark kind of self deprecating humor that Sleepy has. Uh, there was the one the one line in particular. Really, there are there are a couple of instances where she thinks about her traumatic past, and and it's clearly a defense mechanism where she's like, "I'm gonna laugh at this," you know, because she she went through some awful stuff when she was younger. But yeah. but there's the line um, where one eye is is cackling about Master Santaraxita, who who he's pretty sure is is not only gay but also possibly a pedophile, and and is trying to <laughs> prey on. Uh, what he thinks is a young man, Dorby. Uh, Why am I laughing at that? Sleepy. Only one eye could make me laugh at that. Uh, yeah, well, well, and, and one eye's line is like, "Oh, just you know, you're gonna break his heart when he like slips his hand down your pants and doesn't find what he's looking for." Yeah, and she in turn thinks about her uncle, mm. and she and she remembers the first time he slipped his hand into her sari and did find what he was looking for, and she makes it like funny. 
in a really dark, horrible way. <laughs> like, and and that's just, um, you know, that's how Sleepy deals with her trauma. You know, she, I don't know if this is something she's always done. And in fact, I don't think it is because I think her tendency more when she was younger was probably to just wipe the mind blank and, and, and go to her safe place as it were, you know, to be emotionless and right. detached. Um, but as she has become more a member of the black company, she has learned to take humor and sarcasm and cynicism and use that as a defense mechanism instead of this like going catatonic thing that she was doing when she was younger. Yeah. Well I think the dark humor is probably pretty universal among the company as a whole. Oh so yeah. Far, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to be. Certainly when you're hanging around with Goblin and One Eye. Like. Oh yeah. And and dark humor is my I love dark I mean that I am all about the dark humor. Trust me when I say I have to really restrain myself a lot at times, even on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I'm all on board. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side. Uh, of the uh, humor black company um, spectrum is Sarah, who has no sense of humor. She is all business. Um, we, we see a very different Kai Sarah in this book than we did with Merkin. Yeah, we portrayed her as this like almost, almost nonverbal angel, and here we see her as like totally down to business. Like, no nonsense, I will bully you around, um, get the job done kind of lady. And, and it's an interesting, like, it's an interesting change. And it, it brings up that point of, like, unreliable narrators. Like, how much was Mergen just super, super in love with Sara and wanted to portray her as an angel? And how much has Sara actually changed? Because she certainly has changed. Oh my god, I yes. I mean, I don't blame her much given the circumstances. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, she's 15 years older now, and we we hear it time and time again, definitely from Sleepy. I'm pretty sure we hear it at least once or twice from One Eye, even though dangerous dangerous waters there, my friend. But I mean, she's 15 <laughs> years older, and and her husband has been captured and trapped in a prison, you know, this whole time. So she's yeah, it makes and sense. He it, it feels is not organic. getting older. Sorry. And he is not getting older. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That which brings true. its own brand of, like, you know... Uh, and then she's got a son who's now a teenager. Yes, yes. <laughs> Keep forgetting about Tobo. Tobo. <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he, also, I, I expected him to have more page. Honestly, I thought he would be have a much larger role than he has had so far. Uh, read and find out. Okay. <laughs> um... Yeah, we'll we'll get more Tobo as as the book goes on here. Cool. Um, but um, with Sara, I also liked how how willing she is to be uh, an actress uh, to put on the mask of Min Superdill, and not only willing but almost excited. And I liked how Tobo was portrayed. This is kind of my segue into Tobo. Um, how Tobo was portrayed in in this like conflict with Sarah where he's like, he's a teenager. He knows everything, you know, he's going to not get along with his mom anymore. And, and he does some dumb things because of it, but also he has moments of remarkable insight. And I loved the one point where he's like, 
um, when they're all getting ready to leave, and they're like, you know, the game is up in the palace. Min Superdill is not going back. And and, uh, and and somebody's like, you know, Sara remarks about not going back, and somebody is like, uh, you know, you, you, it almost sounds like you, you want to. And she's like, of course I don't want to. Like, that's, you know, that was awful. That was terrible. And, and Tobo's like, no, I think you do. I think you fell in love with that role. I think you love the danger. And now you're you're not putting yourself in that dangerous situation and you don't know what to do with yourself. And and Sleepy's standing over there in the corner watching and she's like, no, Tobo's right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is a result of all the time that she spent pregnant at the monastery or whatever it was without being able to have any hands in anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To have a bit of agency must be nice after, you know, mm-hmm. suffering at the hands of her dickhead family. Yeah, oh my gosh. Still still dicks, by the way. Doge's still obnoxious. Yep. He at least came a little clean. Yeah. Sleepy. But but still Yeah. He's still Uncle Doge. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, with, with Toba though, um, what did you guys think of Shikandini? Oh, his uh, his alter ego, if you will. <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, I can't see myself being perfectly okay at his age with impersonating a girl. But you mm-hmm. know, to each his own. Uh, if he's good at it, and then it's the, it probably feels good to find something that he can do that's meaningful and that he's talented at. And so I support him in that. It's just very, very, very much not like I was at sixteen years old. Yeah, uh, I mean, I certainly would never have been able to do what he did. Yeah, um, I had the body for I, it, though. I was a pasty little fleshy thing. I will say, um, there's... Skinny, I should say, not fleshy. There is one kind of camp in the fandom that I've seen a little bit that um, ascribes to the idea that Tobo is queer because of the Shikandini thing, because not only does he do it, but he seems to enjoy it and, and mm-hmm. that he, he likes to live in the role. Um, and I don't know if I personally, if I read it that way, like did, did that cross your minds at all? It, it, the only way it crossed my mind was for me to think that I, or for, I should say for my, for me to realize that I would have thought that years ago when I was 20, 22, even 25, especially as a teenager, I would have, I would have probably drawn that conclusion uh, right away. But now, I mean, at 29 years old, I mean, I, I, for me, it was just noticing that I would have noticed that if that makes any sense. But now I don't really, I, I, I've only had him for half a book. I can't even judge at this point. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I didn't think that. And it's hard to make that judgment with as little screen time as we've had so far. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get that impression. Um, the impression that I got from it was more that he enjoyed having the like the situational power, right? That he liked that he was playing a prank, essentially. Okay. Um, and that he liked that he was able to manipulate people and get them to see and believe in things they didn't or, or that weren't real. Um, and 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 we'll talk about this a little more um, in in the next episode. Okay. Uh, but but we got we got a few hints you know here where Goblin and One Eye have been working with Tobo, and Goblin and One Eye are specifically illusionists. They're low low power wizards, and they are most effective when working with illusion. 
And I think that is a thematic parallel with Tobo's character development, where he is somebody who enjoys gaining power through illusion, through manipulation. And that, in a lot of ways, Tobo is, is like a an incarnation of the ideals of the Black Company. The Black Company, which, when necessary, you know, like, yeah, they'll, they'll go fight battles, whatever, but they thrive and enjoy using the power of manipulation and illusion and misdirection. Yeah. I think Tobo is a, is a really meta character, and, and it is driven in large part by these opening chapters when we see him playing the part of the Nyungbao urchin on the streets of Taglios, you know, near the button show, uh, or, or when he dresses up as Shikandini. He, he can't resist. He, he gets in a role, and he can't resist taking it just a little further to, to push other people's buttons with his illusion, with his misdirection. Yeah, it, it was pretty disturbing to see some of the reactions to Sheik Andini, though, from... Uh, oh, my was gosh. It, was yeah, it Centaraxito again? Yeah, that was like... That was, no, it no, was, it was uh, oh. Baron Dandy and Baron then Dandy. Um, uh, uh, Chandra Gokale, oh, um, yeah. the yeah. Inspector General. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, oh. the, the number of pedophiles in, in the early part of this book, and thankfully many of them died pretty gruesome deaths, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, this yeah. Is, yeah. It's just not not doesn't make for pleasant reading. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of. Um, no. <clears throat> I guess we're only halfway through, so we'll see. But I was expecting Tobo to have a bigger role. Same. That's yeah. Okay. So, that's yeah, a yeah. I mean, once again, I'll just I'll just say read and find out. Yeah. Um. On on Tobo. Um. Do you guys have any notes on other characters? Um. A little bit on the interactions between One Eye and Goblin for once uh-huh. that I liked for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got some. I've got some quotes here too. Um. <clears throat> One Eye's. Oh, sorry. One Eye offhand tossed something over Goblin's head towards the source of the tiger. A ghostly light floated up like a wisp of luminescent swamp gas. It moved. Suddenly enveloping a young woman, she began to slap at herself, trying to wipe it off. Goblin did something quick while she was distracted. <laughs> she collapsed. <laughs> damn, damn, it worked! I am a genius. Admit it, I am a <laughs> genius. <laughs> and then when they're when they're in there, in they're actually just like they're dealing with their unconscious. Uh, 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 God damn, what's what I'm looking for there? Victims, I'll use. Uh, there's this one uh, exchange. Wait, what the hell are you doing with... Get your hand out of there, you old pervert. I'm putting a control amulet over her heart, you dried up old turd. Because she won't embarrass us before we get her home. Oh yeah, of course you are. Why don't I look on the bright side? At least you're interested in girls again. She built as nice as her mother? <laughs> Even better. You watch your mouth. It's just... Those... Those exchanges, the, their verbal exchanges, are gold. <laughs> They're gold. I didn't they like are. them before, but... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I know, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. They, they are gold. Like, uh, everything around what I goblin in the, in the early going of this book is just hilarious. Like, even, even the ancillary discussions about their antics are way funnier um, in, in this, in this part, you know, the, the repeated, um, allusions to, uh, One-Eye's 
one eye's uh, alcohol making program. You know the what's that? What's that stench coming from behind the crocodile skins? You know, and Goblin's like, or, or one eye's like, no, 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 no it's uh, rats, uh, rat poison. Yeah, no, yeah, they, yeah don't uh, go in there, don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then one eye that I highlighted because it just, I don't know why, but it made me laugh so hard was when Sleepy refers to their their homebrew as homemade elephant poison. <laughs> oh, wow. That's not the one I thought you were going to sit to to bring up. At one point, she calls it water buffalo urine as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the, the number of... <laughs> the number of, like, insults that people cast toward... And even when... when uh, um, Sleepy is talking with Swan, and she's like... What Damn it! I knew you were going to bring this one up. I was going to... Go ahead. Oh yeah, but but he's like, no, their their stuff is terrible. <laughs> oh, he's like, and besides, not... they'll drink half the stock anyway. Like <laughs> again, when you brought up Swan, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with it. I, I thought you were going to bring up the time when Swan was talking to Sleepy and One Eye, and Swan tells them, "I've already run into four people who are already known to be dead, including the world's ugliest wizard and a Nguyen Bao <laughs> woman who acts like she's in charge." One Eye growled. Don't you go talking about Goblin that way. He's my pal. Yeah. I'll have to stand up for him someday. It's like <laughs> again, and it, it just simply because that was delivered in a Scottish accent, a an accent from McLeod Andrews far better than my own. I will obviously add, but it 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 harkens back to, or I shouldn't say it harkens back. It reminded me forcefully of another Scottish accent in a really really famous you know fandom loved movie, Shrek, when Lord Farquaad looks down, and he says, Oh, it's hideous! And Shrek is like, well, that's not very kind. It's just a donkey. <laughs> it's ex Again, it's the same kind of joke with a Scottish accent, and it killed me. I damn near dropped my welding gun when I heard that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, and I think, for me, a lot of the reason that I appreciate Goblin and One-Eye earlier in the series is like with the hindsight of how good it gets with them later in the series. Right, right. Where Cut. you know, we we just got like asides with them in the first couple of books, but here they're they're more major characters and they're getting not just slapstick, you know, like wizard duel comedy, right. but they're getting character development built into their antics and their their banter. Yeah, so I was how sick much of that is <clears throat> Cook like changing their style a little bit versus this is just how sleepy um, views them. I think it was always how, um, how he envisioned them, but he just didn't have the opportunity early in the series to develop them this way without like dramatically <clears throat> altering the structure of his stories. Yeah, like, I, I lost a lot of patience as I as I grumbled about in the first few books with their constant dueling back and forth and how it always it kind of felt formulaic. It felt, every time it came up, it felt like, okay, it's time for another one. And, and this one is just, it's so casual. It's all over the place. And mostly it's it's in dialogue, which I, I really appreciated a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, uh, wow. are you okay over there? Just took a sip of this beer. Yamza. Yeah, that is strong. Ugh. Nice, nice. I look forward to the final draft then. Uh, my last point about Goblin and One Eye is another quote here, and I imagine Drew probably would have thought of me when he got to this quote too. Like Rob's going to say something here; he has to. Swan looked at me, eyebrows raised. He been in the ganja or something? 
No. <laughs> he just hasn't gotten over the fact that he went toe-to-toe with your girlfriend and came out ahead on points. Swan had suggested a good point indirectly, though. With hemp such a common weed, it was a wonder that Goblin and one I had not gotten into it on the entertainment side of that crop. Goblin understood what I was thinking without me saying a word. He told me, we don't have anything to do with it because it screws up your head. And then, of course, Sleepy's like, well, that water buffalo urine of yours isn't doing you any favors either. But, yeah, I thought I thought that was rather uh, hypocritical of Goblin there. I'm like, dude, that's going to hurt you a lot more. Of course, then again, he's already over a century old. What does he really care? But then again, mm-hmm. what does he really care? He's over a century old. He's going on two, I think, at this point. Yeah, Goblin Goblin's uh, well over 150 by this point. Yeah, like, One-Eye is the older of the two. I know that. I think uh, One-Eye is about to cross 200, or he has already. Oh, he's he's over 200. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, he has that stroke, which kind of bummed me out. I was like, ooh. Yes. Yikes. I kind of, yes. I kind of have a bad feeling about Goblin and One-Eye in this. Really? About the both of them, or just One-Eye? Or their interactions? I mean, I, if I had to predict, I think they would both meet their end in this one. I just, I feel like he's been, Ooh. he's kind of set, he's set it up that way a little bit. How heartbreaking would it be if they had another one of their little duels and Goblin overestimated One-Eye because of his new ailment? <laughs> no, I, they wouldn't Yikes. go like that. No, I, I'm not saying yeah. I don't think you are predicting that. It just occurred to me, and I'm like, oh boy, that that would be horrible, wouldn't it? I do think Cook will rip out our hearts with it, but we'll see. Yeah, you don't think he'll he'll no, rip I think out he our hearts with it? Oh, yeah. or maybe One Eye <laughs> is yeah. in like a situation of sacrifice, and Goblin is just fighting to get to him, or something like that. That's how I would approach it if I was going to end these characters. But okay, I actually th- this is a good point to to bring up. Maybe this is a writing style thing, but but while it's on my mind, I want to bring it up. Like on on the topic of like authors ripping your heart out with things. Uh, to me, so far in the Black Company, Glenn Cook isn't that sort of like punch you in the like like punchy in the gut, punchy in the face, emotional. I agree. You know that. Uh, I, agree. I mean, uh, the fine punch in the gut because there's some cliffhangers. But there. Oh, uh, for sure. But but I mean, like the emotional, like uh, I I don't want to like without spoiling anything. Like there's a. There's a scene in Rhythm of War, near the end of Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. That's just like, you know, like rip your heart out. Sad. Um, you know, there, there's, there's some stuff in, uh, you know, in the Wheel of Time. Rip your heart out. Sad kind of things. That's uh, like, a, yeah. uh, there's a, a sequence in Towers of Midnight, for instance. Um, uh, I, I haven't had anything thus far in, in the black company to make me like feel like that's a Glenn Cook thing. Um with the possible exception of the scene with Lady and Croker on the eve of the final battle in the Barrowland. I think that was that was the most like emotional it got. It's for me it's a different kind of emotion. It's this brotherly camaraderie, like, mm-hmm. like, I, like for example, at the end, I want to say it was at the end of Dreams of Steel, when Croker uh, tells Mergen, I look forward to reading the Book of Mergen. Those are the emotional moments for me. There's not a lot of loss in these. Maybe it's just more heartwarming and wholesome, but, I mean, I still do get emotional punches to the gut. They're just not um, okay. sad. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. 
maybe I maybe I've just oh grown God. cynical, but I just feel like the way he set them up. Okay. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the end of my character yeah, discussion Rob, points. Rob, I, I, yeah, we're we're gonna have to talk about that opinion. I that figured just... we're gonna have to eventually. Yeah. Yeah. We've been yeah. dancing around um, that, you know, <laughs> bit for many many weeks. Um, well, well, and on that note, like, yeah, so I want to bring up Mogaba here. Um, uh-huh. I only had one note on him, but this is you know appropriate to bring up now is that he, we see he's now growing his hair out. You know he's getting older. He's not keeping to the to the Nar traditions anymore. He's not shaving his head. He's got some some salt and pepper going on. And uh, and and he is of course my brother unforgiven. Yes, I mean this is a uh, this is something you know we we got to see a little bit in She Is the Darkness. Um, even though we didn't get points of view, so to speak, from Mogaba, we got commentary on Mogaba through the mystical espionage, where where he's a little disenchanted with with Long Shadow, and and at a couple of points he questions his decision. He's like, you know, why did I why did I join forces with Long Shadow? You know, and and now he he has, as so many people are fond of saying in Water Sleeps, he is on the tiger's back. He's riding the tiger now. He he's hitched his train to Soulcatcher, and he's got to do what he's got to do, working with Soulcatcher. Um, but he's not adhering to the same Nar like excellence standards. Obviously, you know he's still in like great shape. He's you know he's still Mogaba, but but he's not quite the same Mogaba anymore. Maybe that we see here regret bouncing around in there. I, mean, I don't believe I'm capable it. of it. You don't think he's capable of it? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. He's too. He's just. He's too. Fo- at least he has been up until this point. When we knew him best, he was very self-centered and 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 driven. But he didn't really have a lot of concerns besides himself. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just like reading more into the fact that he's let his hair start growing out. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean that is a big change for him. Yeah, like especially that just part of the narc. felt to me as a sign of like he's not quite driven on the straight and narrow as he used to be. Hmm. I kind of see it as he's just moving on to what he considers to be bigger things. Hmm. I mean, I think there's potential there. You saw in his conversation with Croker a few books ago, like he's self-aware. Oh. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. That's yeah, a good uh, point. Yeah, that is a good point. I actually forgot about that too. That that scene was like probably the closest to a gut punch. I, mean, I guess he maybe straight more up so than Kroger, the lady like, Croker scene. And you can't you're trust making the wrong decision me. or trusting the yeah. wrong guy or something. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Basically, he's like, he's like, I can't do this, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't let me go. Yeah, as uh, considering I just again I just listened to our uh, Shadow Games episode for censoring reasons just a couple hours before we actually one hour before we went live here, um, there was a, a point in that episode where I said I said I call it Mogaba is 
I don't know if he's going to go dark, but he is too much of a wild card. He is going to be a massive pain in someone's ass. <laughs> I remember that. I remember uh, kind of giggling to myself Good call. Uh, when you made that prediction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to say at the moment, I think I did in the moment predict that he's going to go dark, but at least that he was going to be a pain in someone's ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. Um, uh, so do, do you guys have any more character notes? Nope. Okay, I have one one miscellaneous point I want to bring up. Okay. Um, uh, and, and this is, once again, I feel like Glenn Cook is just really good at being aware of criticisms his fans may have. I have a quote from Sleepy, the current analyst. Unlike some of my company brothers, I have a poor ear for languages. Yeah, but then Sleepy still has, like, four languages at her disposal, so... <laughs> no, doesn't she doesn't. She? she speaks Taglian. But she's still... She's definitely translating uh, 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 other words, though. Like, for, for names. I mean, she's translating based off of texts. Like, she's basically going off of patterns with that. She doesn't know, like, the ancient Young Bao root language that well, the no. original annals were written in. Like... No, she's, I don't even think Croker she's translating. Knows that, so. She's translating using like three different like texts where she's like, "All right, I know this book is in Taglian, and then this book is the original of it that's been translated into Taglian, and so I'm trying to extrapolate backward from the Taglian into okay. that, and then we're trying to like you know, uh, no, she's. I I liked how Sleepy is. You know, she's a scholar. She's absolutely a scholar. Yep. But she is somebody who came to language later in her life. Um, and how there's, there's like, you know, this is, this is some proven stuff that it's a lot easier for people to learn new languages if you start learning multiple languages early in your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you learn multiple languages early on, you're more able to learn more languages later on as well and that's what croker is like i mean he's also well, he's like more than that. savant yeah, yeah yeah he's a he's a he's a master but but a lot of these black company guys they lived in crossroads towns and and they lived in towns in ladies empire where they had to speak like two or three different dialects growing up and then they go down to taglios and now we get a lot of the taglian guys and we and we got um, uh, the NAR, and some of the NAR are okay with picking up language, but not all of them, including Mogaba, who's like he's the smartest one, but he just doesn't have the knack for it. He struggles like he, he didn't even pick up Taglian until like after she is the darkness. Like he's his Taglian was not good. He mostly spoke in the Jewel City's tongue uh, when he was talking with with Croker and, and the Black Company guys, you know, and so. I like how there's this diversification as the series goes on to Rob's criticism earlier. Yep. Where like Glenn Cook is aware that it's like, you know, maybe this is a little too convenient that so many black company people are just like, oh, yep, picking up languages. All right. I need to make people not be able to pick up languages now. I need this language barrier to, to continue to be an issue for them because the company is such a mutable um entity right i mean i mean think about it the black company as we knew it at the beginning of the first book there are 
two people left. Goblin and One-Eye. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, currently active in the world, yeah. There still is Croker, but, you know, they're all... Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but, like, it, the, the company now is Taglian. They don't need to learn other languages. They, they know Taglian. Some of them, if, if they have the opportunity, may know Nyung Bao. But the Nyung Bao are pretty freaking insular. Not many people know their language. Um, yep. You know, even Sleepy doesn't know their language. Yeah, Morgan's pretty good, but Sleepy, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I do seem to recall Sleep, Sleepy actually bringing that point up, too, saying I'm not as good as they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because many of the principal characters now grew up in a more insular society where they didn't have to learn. They didn't encounter other languages. Yep. They lived in Taglios. Everybody spoke Taglian. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. I only have two miscellaneous points. One is that the Radisha apparently has what is called, what they're referring to as an anger chamber. I love that mm -hmm. idea. The, the very idea is gold. I can only tell you how much I would wish to have my own anger chamber at the metal shop where I work. <laughs> it, <laughs> the concept is, is hilarious to me. Um, and my, my, my last miscellaneous point here is just that we got some cool revelations from Uncle Doge. Finally, a few answers from this guy. Mm -hmm. Now, was the revelation that the Nguyen Bao are descendants of another of the free companies of Kadavar, was that here in this book, or did I miss that revelation earlier? Uh, say that again? That the, the, the Nguyen Bao, that they're descendants of another one of the free companies. No, this is new. This is totally so new. So we did find, because I remember were... like being a little mind-blown by that, and I thought, damn, was that a detail that maybe I missed earlier? No, there were very subtle hints mm. in She is the Darkness, but... Yeah. But then it also we find spelled out, out like that. The deceivers yeah. are too, and yeah. that makes sense if you think about it. If like, considering the the terrible uh, uh, reputation of the black company in in the lands of the south, you know, and the, and the deceivers are apparently one of the free companies. They, I can see how there would be a little bit of mixing in lore, especially mm -hmm. with a lot of uh, a lot of fog of time being, you know, uh, things being erased. Just you know because of right. the centuries that have passed. But it, it blew my mind that both the Nguyen Bao and the Deceivers are other are descendants of other of the free companies. Others of the free companies of Kadavar. Isn't so part of the Deceivers... Isn't oh. part of the confusion that Kina has been trying to manipulate this over, like, hundreds of years? I could, I could definitely see that being it. Yes. I thought there was a um, reference to that in this. I don't remember who said it. There, yeah, there is for sure. Um, but there, there was also, I mean, there was information in She Is the Darkness to point out that at least the Black Company and the Deceivers had similar antecedents. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. with, with the Maybe structure that was of the Deceiver bands where the, the Jamadar um, keeps a chronicle of the band's doings, you know, but they have their own analysts. And we find out in She Is the Darkness that the Black Company for sure, you know, like, came off the plane and was in pursuit of the year of the skulls, you know, Perhaps. like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so there's, there was that connection there, but the young bow that that's, that's new. Yeah. That um, might've been the, the confusion I had. It's all re like revealed in the, in the one scene. And uh, some part of me went, that seems familiar, but why am I surprised? Yeah, yeah. Why am I mind blown? So it was, yeah. This, yeah. The deceivers. Yeah, the, okay. Um, and, and I would also like to point out, we got some information here, uh, Jared's favorite topic, 
Um, the the encounter with the Shadow Masters at the Shadow Gate when the gate was broken and Long Shadow fixed it with his name. Hmm. That there were several more Shadow Masters who died. And specifically, Uncle Doge says several of them were sorcerers from the north. Yeah. Several implies more than two. And we know of Stormbringer and the Howler. This, to me, says there were at, at least like one or two more taken who survived Charm and went south with the Howler and Stormbringer. And they died there. The shadows. So welcome this back, Limper. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Well, oh, well, no, no. <laughs> but this is something that I think, like, if you if you like dig through the layers, you know, you make these extrapolations. The shadows are scary as hell. The Taken are so damn hard to kill. Even like the Taken battling with each other couldn't kill each other. But the shadows off the plane could. I don't know. Soulcatcher seems pretty adept at dealing with. Dealing well, Soulcatcher with... is debatably the most powerful Taken. So, yeah, she's special. I she did... was like second only to Lady. You know, well, she's she's the Lady's uh, older sister. Yes, I'll use air sister. quotes there because there was some confusion I had earlier, and yeah. Um. Oh, oh, uh, is there? Oh my gosh. Um, oh no, no, it's not in this one. Sorry. It was at the end of no. Dreams of Steel, I believe it was. Or was it? Was it? She is the darkness. No, definitely Dreams of Steel. When there's this throwaway line from Mergen. No, no, a lady. Yeah. Damn it. He, she says, "My little sister." She yeah. says, "My little sister." Yeah, it's lady. Yep. So, but Dorothea was the youngest. Dorothea the was the youngest, and it confused the shit out of me when I heard that. <laughs> oh, it's gonna get more confusing. I thought worry. I was like misremembering <laughs> something, so I asked Drew, and he just started chuckling maniacally, and I was like, "Okay, I guess I found something I wasn't <laughs> expecting to find." I was just assuming that I had misunderstood something. I can't. Yeah, remember there's there's if we addressed this specifically yeah. before, so apologies if I just don't remember, but. No does Soulcatcher like legit have multiple personality disorder? Like, it's still up in the air. I think. I think or actually is that Rafa. We just started. I think we just I started to get some more hints. Sorry, go ahead. I don't think she does. I don't think she has like DID or anything like that. Um, she definitely has this like. I mean, she speaks in different voices, and I do think she has some like clinical psychopathy. You know, <laughs> but oh, I don't yeah? think she has dissociative identity. So I mean, like she's clearly insane on some level, right? Like she's crazy. Oh yeah, Sleepy makes reference to like some of these these orders that she's giving that that make no sense. Not yeah. only do they make no sense, but they are also hindering her in her her. She's hindering yeah. herself in some ways with the insanity of some of these orders. But but I so there are a couple of things with with Soulcatcher. Um, she doesn't. At least as far as I can tell, she doesn't like subsume personalities into herself um, the way, uh, without spoiling anything, the way a certain <laughs> character does in the Acts of Cain. Okay. Um, and she doesn't necessarily have to kill somebody or catch their soul, 
to speak in their voice. Because we have on the page a scene where she speaks in Goblin's voice before, like, it's, Did it's she? like, what? In, I do not remember yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's in, um, it's in the latter parts of She is the Darkness when Mergen is having trouble tracking Goblin and he's spying on Soulcatcher and he hears her speak in Goblin's voice and he panics. He's like, oh no, did she get Goblin? And then he finds Goblin alive, obviously, alive and fine later on. And Goblin's still alive and fine. Like, so she, she doesn't, I, I think with her, it's more that she's got some magical ability to mimic voices and she chooses to use specific voices based on situations and what she's saying because she's just crazy like that. <laughs> since, since we're still on Soulcatcher and Goblin, I can't believe I forgot to bring this up in my one eye and Goblin points here. Uh, this scene with Soulcatcher trying her damnedest yes. to catch Goblin as he flees the palace. <laughs> oh my god, my sides. I love oh, it. Oh, it's so good. I it's loved so good. it. And then she stomps on the final gun. Yeah, Gesha. and then she really regrets that decision. Yeah. And even even later, Goblin's like, I can't believe that worked. I can't believe she <laughs> stomped on it. What is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then she's like the most angry that she's going to have to replace her leather pants. Yeah, he makes a qu uh, some sort of quip about her having to fly 500 miles probably to find adequate leather. 5,000 miles. Five, oh, yeah, of get course. She's way farther south than I, than I thought. That's right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. So good, that's good. honestly everything I have to say about water sleeps up through chapter 52. Okay. Anything okay. else? Gentlemen? Um, yes. Sorry, I actually have one last miscellaneous point. It, it, it's just it's just a line that, that cracked me up. It's a goblin line. <laughs> okay. Women, goblin grumbled. Can't live with them, but they won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be something slightly different. But yeah, I, it, 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 very, it definitely it read like Goblin. Well, actually, it honestly reads like three quarters of the Black Company as far as we know. Yeah, I just love how Glenn Cook took like a common saying, you know, like, you know, women can't live with them, but can't live without them. You know, like, like a common... Cynical or like saying. I thought it was going to be. I think it's a George Carlin quip. It might have been. A, it's some comedian saying, "Women can't live with them, can't kill them." <laughs> There's a comedian oh, that well, set out that one. Point I mean, flip that on itself. Yeah. That's where I thought Goblin was going. But yeah. So so that was sort of a theme in this book where where he takes this idea of like a common saying and puts like his own twist on it. And the other one uh, is a com combination, at least in this part that I highlighted. Um, a combination with like Sleepy's penchant for avoiding cursing, and um, and she's talking about Uncle Doge and the key, and he and he says like you know if Uncle Doge had the key, you know he wouldn't be roaming around looking for it. He'd be back in the swamp, blithely letting the rest of us go to Al Shiel in a hand in a handcart. And so like Al Shiel, obviously, hell. Mm -hmm. So it's hell in a handcart. But but it's without the alliteration, yeah. In in Sleepy's own way of like you know not cursing, and I, I don't know. I I thought that was really really clever. Yeah, but I, 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 one thing I forgot to mention again with Goblin One Eye, particularly I think with One Eye, there just the chemistry that they have with with Sleepy and how they have <gasps> this pet name they have for her. They keep calling her Little Girl, and then even though it pisses her off to no end, and she still. Let's them get away with it. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something... compared to them. <laughs> yeah. They're not far off. Okay, I actually lied. Um, I didn't... I just went back to my, my ebook to look up my highlighted passages. I, I forgot to transfer this over to my note doc. Um, when Bondo Trang dies... Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was powerful. Great wasn't it? scene. But just the, the last paragraph of it. Bon lifted a hand weakly and stroked my hair. And after that, I got up and went away somewhere to be alone with my grief for a man who, it seemed, had never been that close, yet who was going to have a major impact on the rest of my life. I understood that after the tears stopped, I would never be quite the same sleepy again. And that was one legacy Do Trang wanted to leave behind. That was... Yeah. I I got a little bit wet in the eyes. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. So on that note, shall we head into the final draft? Let's do it. Let's head into the final draft. Now, we are on holiday. It, we are. We, this, as, with, as with the recording of this, it actually is still a holiday on my end. It's 11 p.m. on the 1st of January, 2021. Happy New Year's, fellas. Woo! I have been drinking nonstop for about six days, <laughs> and I've had a hangover on every one of those days, and it's oh, just been man. getting worse and worse, and well, I'm you almost afraid to stop because I feel like... you got to from the previous day. Right. And I'm almost afraid to stop because I feel like the momentum of the collective hangover might actually kill me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I actually haven't had anything to drink alcohol-wise today. I'm going a little virginal with this drink here. However, it's still being the holidays. I got my, I got on my new Christmas uh, shirt yeah, here. I was going to say, that's a, a pretty fantastically horrible uh, you. jacket you got Oh, on. you should see other ones that I got this year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, this here is a good, old-fashioned, hearty nog of the egg. Oh, eggnog. That's what I'm drinking. Nice. But it's just a regular... Yeah. Store bought. Hey, you watch you your mouth. Like don't, I, oh, you don't like eggnog? I don't like hate it so much. Oh man, Jared. I know what? it's weird. Everyone loves it. Oh no, I most of my family hates it too. I'm, oh, really? I'm the black sheep. But I oh, love it. I, we we have a full jug of eggnog in the fridge right now. <laughs> Although I now that I think on it, it's gonna have an absolute boatload of sugar, isn't it? Oh yes it will. Any self-respecting <laughs> eggnog we see here. Per half cup drink, and I've drink had some least... water. Drink some water after this. <laughs> I've had at least four times that half cup amount, and there is da, 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 carbs, 18 grams, so 16 of sugar. Hmm. Damn. That's not as bad as I thought it was. But hey, I mean, this is a nice hearty eggnog. I like me some eggnog. It's going down nice, and it leaves me sober for this episode, at least. So that's what I'm sipping that's on. That's good. So I have two beers. So I'm going to do one, and then I'll let Jared go, and then I'll do my last one. Sweet. Let's hear it. Uh, my first one goes out to the the black company dream team of Sleepy and Sara and how they are what more than willing to pursue their goals with with no quarter given uh especially in regards to um the captives they take with the radisha and and uh the purohita and the inspector general um, and Narayan, of course. Um, but, but this is from True Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Uh, a, a brewery I have had on many times. 
because they just keep making great beer and they keep making beers with great names. Uh, this is a West Coast style India Pale Ale, and and I will say it is a more modern take on the West Coast style. It does not have the the really strong like pine bitterness, uh, pine hop profile that I would expect. Mm. Take another sip there. Yeah, like it, they say it's a West Coast style. It's certainly not like a, a juicy New England, you know, like super fruity tropical thing. But but it's not as piney as I would expect from a classic West Coast India Pale Ale. It's still tasty though. Still still nicely hoppy. Five point six percent, and it is called Show No Mercy. Ooh, okay, fitting. Okay. I would have. I, I think I would have fit pretty well in She Is the Darkness too. Although I think you had a really good one for that one. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Before we get on with Jared, while well, we're still just loosely on mine here, I was, if someone might you might have heard me go, "What the fuck?" a few minutes ago while you were talking there. I'm looking at since I live in Canada, everything has a English and a French translation. The French of side course. of the of the carton of eggnog was just facing me in that moment, and I saw what eggnog is called in French. It says le de poule, which translated literally, I believe, is chicken milk. <laughs> or maybe uh, since it's not a full poulet, it's just poule. I think it's hen. <laughs> eggnog is weird enough. Hen milk? That. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Okay, sorry, go ahead. Wait, I didn't wait mean to interrupt you. That does Jared. not sound good at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound good when you put it that way. No, I feel milk better about my opinion. Drink that. <laughs> um, Jared. Yeah, before Peaks Golden Lager. I've heard you drink that before, yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah. They uh, nice. have these good variety packs where they have four or five different um, types of beer that you can get. So, yeah, this is one of them. I'm pretty sure yeah, I've had it nice. on several times. Of those variety pack, though, what do you what do you like the most in the variety pack? Ooh. Probably this, actually. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Four peaks. Very nice. Okay. Okay. So this beer, my my second beer, I have to admit is not not for this book. It's actually for bleak seasons. And I I messed up. Um <laughs> it's okay, there's a lot of time travel happening in that book. You're excused. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's uh this is Mergen falling forward in time. <laughs> exactly. Um <laughs> But no, uh, I got this bottle, like, months and months ago, and I stashed it away in my beer cooler to use for bleak seasons, and then I forgot about it, because I got all um, excited about doing Shadowlight, uh, you know, the name of the, the Shadowlander city, um, but I was going through my my list, my, my spreadsheet, of beers to check out what I was going to bring on today. And I saw it and I was like, wait a second, I forgot to bring that on. So I was like, all right, I have to bring, I have to bring on two today. And now this is a beer from adroit theory brewing company. I have brought them on before. Yep. Um, this is an Imperial milk stout and it's, it's a special kind of beer. Um, because apparently this beer was not brewed with water. Uh, I, they haven't said like what the liquid base was that they used for it. Um, but I, I think they brewed it with a base, like 
liquid of coffee instead of water. <laughs> that sounds potent. It is. Uh, this is the beer that I took a sip of earlier, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> wow. that is strong. <laughs> um, uh, so it's an imperial milk stout with French roast coffee, salted caramel, toasted coconut, and bourbon honey. I would drink the shit out of that. I will say, I'm not a huge fan. That sounds um, amazing. I get a ton of like tobacco notes uh, from this. Which Yummy. are common, they're common in certain types of, like, barrel-aged, um, just, like, non-adjuncted barrel-aged stouts, uh, depending on your base recipe. I don't love it, but, like, this is, this is not just, like, tobacco, but, like, kind of musty tobacco. Uh, yeah. I almost wonder if this <laughs> got oxidized a little bit, because this was bottled on September 6th, 2019, so it may have... May have oxidized a little bit, but uh, I mean, like it's drinkable still. It's just kind of funky. Not as not as good as I wanted it to be, um, and not as good as some other beers I've had from Adroit Theory. But as far as the thematic nature of it, uh, keeping in mind we're going back to bleak seasons for this one. This goes out to the Nar and Mogaba. This beer is called. <laughs> Cannibalism. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> nice. Okay. That was remarkably more straightforward than I was expecting it to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was looking through my spreadsheet today. I was like, why is cannibalism still on the spreadsheet? I thought I did that. Wait a second. No, I didn't. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> yeah, nice. I I had to I had to rectify that oversight. Can't blame you. That was a worthy entry. But, All right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our coverage of the first half of uh, of Water Sleeps. Uh, next up, we will be finishing off Water Sleeps. We'll be doing the rest of the book. And if you want to get early access to that or access to any of our bonus content, Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you know, support the show there. Uh, all the proceeds go to Danny, our artist, and Pat, our sound engineer, who does all the magic to make these episodes happen. Uh, as always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yup. And our special guest, Jared Livingston. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Heyo. The Honorable... Jared Livingston. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob went not only respectful, but restrained with his... <laughs> You're going to have to flip it again this, next week, aren't this I? This makes me worried for <laughs> next episode. I am so Something. concerned. I keep... I, I'm just... I always have to find a new one, and I didn't write down anywhere what I've used before. <laughs> so I'm constantly searching for something new and afraid that that's going to be a repeat by accident. But don't worry. I'll work at yeah. it. Just for you, Jared. I promise. Yes. Yeah, so I, I gotta say, I'm excited. We have three episodes left for The Black Company. We are dialing it in. We are getting into the end game now. So I'm ready. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>